This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with one of my friends and longtime colleagues at Bleacher Report, Grant Hughes. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. We are going to wrap up the last dance by talking about the GOAT debate that we no longer want to have. And so I realize that we're probably going to come off as trolls with this, and yet we're still talking about it. But both of us were kind of of the sentiment that after watching the last dance, we've never had less of an inclination to debate between Michael Jordan and LeBron James, and it's not going to end up being, I don't think, a pot shot at either one. Before we get into this, though, just the usual housekeeping notes, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Twitter. That is still the best way to help us out. You can also consume us wherever else you're getting your podcast: Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all those great places. But iTunes, again, rate, review, subscribe. If you've done all those things, word of mouth, retweet our promos. We very much so appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. Last but certainly not least, we shout out our sponsors for this podcast this week, betonline.ag and Bluetooth. You'll be hearing from both in a moment. Grant, how the hell are you? You know, I'm really good. I'm sad that the last dance is over. Um, obviously, that's uh, kind of the impetus for this conversation uh, because I don't know about you, but, you know, every week there was like one thing that I was looking forward to most on Sunday and, and the last dance was for sure it. Um, but, but yeah, I, it's, I think it's gotten us to a place now where we can, you know, we've got, we've, it's so fresh in our minds, all the Jordan stuff, which I think, uh, in the goat debates, the problem a lot of the time always was like, well, LeBron is now and Jordan is not like a singular figure for a lot of younger people. And a lot of people don't even really remember the details. So this is a good time, uh, I think, to to kind of dig into this to the extent that we're going to, because we are, I think, going to cop out pretty hard, right? Yes, this is the cop out pod. This is the <laughs> fuck the goat debate. We're going to hedge pod or something. Right. right. That's what it should really be titled. First, I wanted to ask you, though, episodes nine and 10. What did you think of them? So uh, the first thing is, um, and I had resisted the criticism. I think that a lot of people had out there was the the time jumps, right? Like throughout this whole thing, people were confused or like, what are we? Why are we jumping from they're playing uh, whatever the, the the Pacers to now we're suddenly back in 1987 and now we're in this <laughs> time and like you know it's just the logistics of you've got this 22 year old footage that you can't build a whole documentary around. So we're going to tell a longer story and get Mm -hmm. 10 episodes out of it. Um, I had not really been bothered by the time jumps, at least up through episode eight, because I just remembered all that stuff pretty well. So it wasn't disorienting, but for some reason, the time jumps in these two got really weird because like they're playing the jazz in 97 and 98 and the time jumps had shrunk and, and, Suddenly we're back and look, the Steve Kerr stuff was like just phenomenal, but now we're back in, you know, the early nineties and, or the late eighties. And, and that like, it kind of threw me a little bit for the first time. And I think it particularly did with, um, trying to figure out how to tell the Pacers series story alongside like the previous jazz finals. And it was just too close in time and it got a little muddled to me. 
So that would be my main criticism. Um, I don't know. Did, did the time thing bother you like in these two or at all? No, I think if anything, what bothered me is that there wasn't enough time spent on that 97, 98 season. And so the flashback mm. themselves, like I, I could follow it and I appreciated it. And if anyone could hear that, one of my puppies is going absolutely bonkers in the background <laughs> right now in his little bubble. Um, so those didn't really bother me. But I, I would have liked to have seen more of a focus on 97, 98, because I thought that was basically what the documentary was supposed to be about. And then it kind of turned yeah. into just Michael Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan's like backstory, his journey, his goat case. And then, yes, they had some, uh, you know, stuff on Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, uh, Steve Kerr, all those guys, Phil Jackson, Jerry Krause. But Michael Jordan was basically asked to respond to like them and, and those stories about them. So it, that Part of it was weird, but maybe that speaks more to how known the 97-98 season was for people that were living it and that that team was sort of tired, exhausted. You heard Jordan basically talking about how much he abhorred fame by that point, and even before the first time he retired. So I, I totally get that. And then the other thing I will point out, too, is that these two episodes were just not done when the series started rolling out because it was supposed to come out so much later and so you were looking at something where I think they finished episode 10 basically within a week of it airing, I believe, or it couldn't have been much longer than a week. So I think you have to respect the amount of time or that they didn't have really, and that they needed to rush this out. And there were some just throwing moments where you saw Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson kind of complimenting Jerry Krause. It was like the, uh, the docuseries makers were saw how everyone was shitting on the, the coverage of Jerry Krause because he was, dead and wasn't there to respond and so they they just threw in those few moments to kind of address that end of the spectrum uh i don't know if that's cool because they had the luxury of maybe gauging the response to the first few episodes and how jerry Krause was covered but it, it all felt i don't know the last two episodes and the last one specifically it, it did feel a little rushed and even the steve kerr stuff was just great but i just wish we kind of could we have gone into like the Arizona stuff a little bit where weren't, you know, fans kind of trolling him because of the murder of his father, or maybe that's not Canon related to this story. There's, there's a, it's great. It's a gray area, but I do think that nine and 10 maybe ended up being my two least favorite episodes of this piece. I, I think I, I'm not sure where I'd put them. I, I definitely agree that um, it felt like, well, how do we wrap this? You know, but, but the highs of these two episodes were some of the highest highs I thought of the whole series you know, there were just a couple moments and this goes to show like the, the real footage that just hasn't been seen before is really where like the, the, the true value of this whole thing was like the one where after the bulls have eliminated the Pacers in the East finals and Jordan's in the tunnel and bird comes out, the coach of the Pacers at the time. And Jordan says something like, fuck you, you bitch. And just like yeah. right in his ear, it was so perfect because you know, bird hated it. And it was just like ever the competitor. That was great. I thought Carl Malone getting on the bus after losing to shake all the players hands was just like, you know, think what you want about, about Carl Malone. But like, that was, that was pretty awesome. I thought. And, uh, I think the the one thing I did like the most about the ending um, was that was because it was so perfectly on brand that like this whole time the deal was this thing is over. Kraus and you know Jackson, Pippen, Jordan, irreconcilable. Like they've decided to blow this up, not going to happen. And then Jordan at the end is like, we could have got seven basically, <laughs> um, which is just like so perfect to me because if we learn anything, it's just that he does not engage with reality, like from a competitive standpoint, like in the same way that the rest of us do. So like, even knowing all that, knowing how irreparable everything was, knowing that like, they really were just on fumes and maybe shouldn't even have won that series against Utah in 98. He's like, yeah, I think we would have gotten seven. It's just like, I, that's all I want for Michael Jordan. I just, that's all I want is just be the character that we know that he is. So th that was, that. those were my definite highs from, from those last two, which I think, you know, ultimately, um, I think it, I just think the whole thing worked. And, and I, I guess like a lot of people are focusing on the flaws and the time stuff. And, you know, this is a very obviously Michael Jordan produced and greenlit right. thing. Um, I just, uh, I think just for me being, I'm like at the perfect age for that, for those, the, the second three Pete Jordan bulls to just hit all the feels for me. Um, so I like, I could just watch, I don't care how, what happens in the footage we didn't see. I just want all of it. You could, you basically could not give me too much of, of all of this stuff. 
No, and I totally agree with you. And look, the entire series was enjoyable. And like you said, the, the last two episodes, they had a ton of moments. Um, I, I liked, I, I definitely liked them sort of getting to him talking about, do you think you could have won number seven? Really when it's all immaterial because the Bulls said they were going to end this entire thing from day one of that season, even before right. day one. Even if, I think Jerry Krause said, even if they went 82-0. and 0, uh, I liked them getting into the, the pizza flu game, stomach mm. virus spin. I still find that absolutely ridiculous. One, one did, did he call and say, hi, this is Michael Jordan of the Chicago Bulls. I right, have- no, there's, okay, <laughs> thank you for, like, there's no way. And the other there's thing, so- before you go on, it's just the throw in that, and I'm the only one eating the pizza. Look, if you need to clarify <laughs> that, like, something screwy is going on here. There's so many things. Like, I, I guess... I mean, we'll never know. And I mean, and I, that's sort of a plausible story. It is reasonable that jazz fans would have, you know, put some bad pepperoni on there or done something purposely. But did the they just un- have it handy? Oh, we have poison. <laughs> just like I, what- I don't know, man. I just think that, that what you said, there is zero chance that you call and say, yes, can I? Yeah. Who can who's the order for? And you say Michael Jordan, because one, Michael Jordan's not calling. It's Tim Grover or it's somebody else. There's just no scenario where they should have been able to know that this pizza is for Michael Jordan. And then like when five guys show up, I don't care how hungry you are. Like that's <laughs> weird enough to where you're, you know, I'm sure Jordan's played on empty stomachs before. Like that's, it can't be that important to get pizza at 1030. Also, he's eating pizza at 1030. Nobody, no player today is doing that. No, you, I don't know if you remember, but when Kobe live tweeted his 81 point game, he was talking about how his a meal the night before was, uh, I think it was pepperoni pizza and grape soda. And I was, oh my like, God. I was like, a, pl- a star would be released if he ate that before a game now. Basically. <laughs> uh, really, yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Really quickly, before we get into the crux of why we're recording this podcast, was there anything that wasn't in the doc that you wish that they would have gotten into? Maybe even if it wasn't directly related to this, like I, I would have maybe just liked to mention like him playing for the Wizards or buying the, the Bobcats slash hornets and like what he's done is sort of the the owner of that team maybe even seen a little bit more of his actual family before the final episode where they just threw his sons in well yeah i mean that's those the the horn the the hornets being erased from existence and the jet and the the wizard seasons being erased uh, that is the biggest giveaway that jordan you know had final say on what this was gonna depict right because like we, you know, it, it it is funny that even now, like we all know he played for the Wizards, and that it wasn't like <laughs> really all that pleasant. And it's just kind of funny that we've all agreed that 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 didn't happen for purposes of of the myth, you know, and the narrative. But I don't know. I think basically, if there were any footage of practice or any footage of locker room or training table stuff, like that was all gold to me. I, I if there's anything that was left out, I would have liked to have seen it. Um, one thing real quick before we get, uh, further in, uh, to, to the debate at hand, quote unquote debate at hand, I did, I did think it was kind of touching how, because we've agreed that Jordan is the one who kind of gets the say of how this looks, they really did kind of redeem Scottie Pippen in the last couple episodes because the back thing, you know, had a chance to be depicted as well, same guy that wouldn't come in for the game winning shots, same guy that had a dubious migraine by some accounts like, Oh, so now this, but they really did a good job, I think. And I have to believe Jordan had a hand in this um, of kind of saying like, no, no, Scotty was a a war, you know, an absolute warrior and it it is tough and did want to win. Cause really the takeaway could have been a lot different if they hadn't, you know, handed him another five or 10 minutes in these last couple to, to make him look really good. Yeah, there's, I mean, I don't remember what episode it was, but when they're talking about him sitting out during the final moments of that playoff game, he says he wished it didn't happen, but that he would do it again if presented yeah, the opportunity. Right. Just very bizarre there. So yeah, there was that sort of redemptive arc for Pippen. And look, a lot of this documentary was spent, Jordan talking about how important many of his teammates were, but also like Pippen in general. And that's sort of been a reoccurring theme. It does feel like he's always appreciated Scotty Pippen for everything he did. I, I believe he even said, I don't win six titles without Scotty. And so that that was pretty cool. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online, Hardwood Knox listeners. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. 
or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. But, as you mentioned at the top, the impetus for this podcast, the GOAT debate, where it seems, I would say, among the vast majority of basketball fans, media members, whatever you want to call them, hoops heads, it's between LeBron and MJ. I have seen some stuff floating around that now the debate's about who's number two. Is it LeBron or throw your name in there, I suppose? I don't think it's a stupid debate to have. So I don't want to criticize anyone who's having it, particularly now, because it's definitely not random after seeing all 10 episodes of this documentary. However, you mentioned to me, and we both agreed when we were speaking, I think it was last week at this point, that you've never had less of an inclination to have this debate. And so I want to I wanna just throw the floor to you and what's the primary reason why, after seeing this documentary, is it because you think that Jordan's by far and away the GOAT, or is there just you've lost the will to even try and contextualize <laughs> what both of them have gone through? lost the will. I thought you were going to go a different direction. Um, no, I, so there's a few things. Um, like I hate to shit on a debate like this just as a blanket rule, because like, it is interesting to talk about. There are different points of view. You can sort of get to whatever conclusion you want. And it's close enough statistically by a lot of measures to where like, it is a debate. I don't know. I mean, you look at their per 36 numbers, they're really close. You've got, you know, if, if you care about, it depends on what numbers you care about, I guess, because, you know, so is, is six and oh in the finals better than being three and six, but having made it nine times, which is, you know, the difference. Uh, and, and like, well, does it matter that Jordan uh, never lost a game seven from, you know, the time he, they start, the Bulls started their first three-peat to the time they ended their second, he lost one playoff series, and that was that weird Orlando one that he came back at clearly not full strength. It, it just, uh, you know, there aren't, the, all the, those aren't even numbers, really, but there's just so many ways to look at it that it, what really clarified this whole thing for me was a point that uh, Chuck Klosterman made uh, on a podcast. I Forgive me, I forget which one it was. But but his the gist of it was this, and this kind of just got me to where I needed to be intellectually on this question, is that the reason this debate has persisted for so long is about much more than, you know, these are two guys with crazy resumes that objectively you'd be pretty much correct in saying they got to be one, two in some order. It's, it's not just that. It's that uh, if you're saying there's a difference to the distinction to be made between saying someone is the best at playing the game of basketball and the best basketball player. Because in the latter, which is where Jordan falls, I think for me, there's more to being a basketball player in terms of like what you like about them or what you determine greatness to be than just your PER, your true shooting percentage, your your record in big, you know, whatever, points per game even, if you want to go really basic. Um, and Jordan, I think this documentary showed it created a level of mythology around himself by doing things that felt like storybook things mm -hmm. that sort of elevate him beyond what the numbers are. And so it would be a silly argument if Jordan had played for seven years, won one championship and averaged 20 points a game, right? Because then it's like, well, the, the mythology just doesn't get you there. But when it's a close case, I think you have to sort of acknowledge that like basketball is as much as we're crazy about the numbers, um, it's really more art than science a lot of the time in terms of what matters to people. Like the way that Jordan carried himself and the way that he won and the consistency with which he won was just so unique, uh, so so different and so elevating of his profile that like you can agree that LeBron uh, statistically is a better shooter, better passer. Uh, you know, is going to finish ahead of Jordan in just almost every individual statistical metric. You can uh, go down the line and say, well, like, therefore, LeBron is the greatest basketball player ever. But that's not, it's different. He's the best at playing the game of basketball, right? It's such a fuzzy distinction, but it really rings true for me. And Jordan was just something more. Um, and, and so I think people are arguing without realizing that it, it can be 
they're not connecting on what they're even arguing about sometimes. <laughs> so that's, so that's kind of my really, you know, philosophical, hard to parse, uh, thought on the debate. I don't, I don't know if that made sense to you or if, or if, because you're a little younger than I am, it doesn't resonate, but, um, that, that's just kind of where I'm at is it's just not the, it's not the same question. LeBron can be the best at playing basketball, but not the best basketball player. If, if so, that's, that's where I'll cede to you. It sort of sounds like you're differentiating between greatest and best. Sure. That's another way to think about it. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. I go, one thing I didn't understand probably because I was too young at the time is just the ubiquity of Michael Jordan's fame where, and mm-hmm. how much he hated it. It did seem like, and so I go back and forth on whether, well, if we had Michael Jordan right now today, would things be worse for him? Would they be, I don't want to say easier, but just different because maybe you're not dealing with those same mobs because people feel like they have more access to you from social media and just the way the league is covered now where everything about a player's life is just aggregated, essentially. There's, you know, um, USA Today has sites dedicated to single players, Lonzo Wire or whatever it's called. And LeBron wire, whatever it's called, there'd definitely be one for Jordan. And you're not just talking about basketball. Then that's where I get curious is would the myth start to break down a little bit if Jordan were in the NBA today, because you have so much access and insight to what he's doing, where these things, yes, the him going to Atlantic City the the night or the I think it was on an off day during the, the NBA playoffs. How would that have been covered? And would this sort of level of mythology that he's achieved would it have been debunked a little bit had he been playing today and maybe that's why we don't feel that sense of not just inevitability with the way lebron plays basketball but that sense of reverence towards him off the court i think that's absolutely right i think that it would be different and we would not mythology we don't like it's very difficult to mythologize anyone now be, for, for the reasons you said is that like and it's the same reason we may never see a documentary quite like this one again because if you're an NBA star that's anywhere in Michael Jordan's stratosphere in terms of fame you're you're throwing out Instagram posts and and you're 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 touting your brand partners left and right you're you're cultivating this image deliberately um, in ways that just weren't possible back then and you're also getting more scrutiny like minute to minute in ways that weren't possible back then. But this is actually something that ties into another element of this where like, I think it's fair to say that it's an advantage for Jordan to have played when he did in terms of what you just alluded to, you know, how famous can you be and how much scrutiny can you be under how, how seemingly more willing or hungrier we are now to break guys down. Like that's a benefit to him because if anyone had dug long enough, they would have just found a bunch of stuff to harp on. The other thing is, you know, him leaving in 94 and 95 and then not yeah. playing again in 99, um, even though he says they could have won a seventh. Um, I think those things actually help him because I do think there's a good chance they wouldn't. I, I really don't think they can win eight titles in a row or nine if you want to say 99. Right. So him leaving really at the absolute apex of his like physical abilities for 94 and 95. But he was gassed. I mean, that was the whole thing in the show is that in the documentaries that he was wiped out, like mentally, emotionally, all this stuff. I don't think they win both of those titles. I just don't that when he was gone. And I think that the the story of him is so completely different if he ever loses a big game that you expect him to win, because that's what Michael Jordan was. He never lost the big game that you expected him to win. So you have to look past that Orlando series because he was playing baseball like months before that. Um, but other than that, he just never lost it. And that's how you create this like mythological figure. If they lose, you know, to the Rockets in the finals in 94 or 95, or if they get bounced by the Knicks or if the pace, whatever, whoever it is, I think that it's only, you know, you'd look at it as only one time getting eliminated when they were supposed to not get eliminated. But I really feel like that changes everything. And so even him leaving, which some people view as maybe detracting from his legacy, I think you could really spin that as it, it was a it was a benefit. Well, look what just look at the way questions are framed about that time. It's how many rings did he leave on the table? Mm-hmm. And so that's going to benefit him as well. One of the things I've also thought of too is that this isn't and again, I'm not trying to take away from anything he did, but this felt like a perfect storm of circumstances relative to his legacy, where the NBA sort of really took off after the dream team and because of the effort that David Stern put into making it a global game. And so Michael Jordan then 
from there, as the NBA's peaking in popularity, he was able to be sort of the first star of his kind. And anyone who comes after, like there's, it's going to mean inherently less or seem inherently inferior. It'd be like, had Jordan come after Kobe as opposed to vice versa, even if you put LeBron in Jordan's shoes and then put Jordan in LeBron's shoes now, do we really think that Jordan would be 9-0 and in the finals if he had played with LeBron's teams in, in this exact NBA? And so I'm also just wondering if over time people have come desensitized to stardom in the NBA because Jordan did it first and everyone that's effectively come thereafter because he represented sort of this shift in recognizable star power that you're never going to be able to live up to what he did. LeBron could be 9-0 and in the finals and maybe he wins the GOAT debate by default, but it just, it feels like Jordan has this mystique, not only because of the way the the game was covered then, but because of what it was, but like to fans, like it really just, that's when it seemed like it, it exploded. And yes, it's popular now, but I think that comes back to the, to the desensification of maybe maybe superstardom. And so I don't know if I'm I'm sort of rambling too much there and that's like not an actual point, but like let's flip-flop and see or let's maybe take the dream team out of the equation. Like if the dream team doesn't happen, is Jordan still this lock to be the goat? Like was he considered that player but before uh, the dream team? I really don't I can't say I remember the discourse being that because I think I was 3 or 4 or whatever how old I was, but it doesn't seem like that's what the conversation was. Well, it's it's interesting. I think it's a there's a little chicken and egg uh, in there to sort of to to think about. I I would say that the the whole dream team situation, uh, which a hundred percent like just changed the way that the NBA existed in terms of all this inter, you know the international explosion, the the crazy popularity. I don't know if the dream team thing happens if Jordan isn't already like an international megastar. Okay. Um, I think, I think he probably, maybe, maybe this is, you know, off, off base, but I think like, imagine if the dream team is headlined by, I don't know who it would be. Like bird was pretty much washed. Magic hadn't been playing. Um, is it like, it, here, check it out. Here's the dream team led by David Robinson. Like does the, is the effect the same? Like, I, I, I don't know. I think the thing about, and, and again, this is another just, you know, happenstance thing that bolsters Jordan's case or, or, or sort of makes him seem so just different is that there are elements in his rise of like all of the great sea change moves in the league. Like if you, so it was a big guy's league basically forever until Mm -hmm. him. Um, and so I think there are elements of what we see now with Steph Curry or what we saw really more accurately, like five, six, seven years ago, where like, oh, a guy like this can dominate a game that's different. And so now it's inherently more relatable because, you know, obviously now, because Curry is like a normal, you know, slightly larger than average size person. But if it's not a seven foot guy running around and dunking and it's now Michael Jordan, you know, being just a balletic, graceful, incredible athlete. That's more relatable. The other thing is um, he kind of he knocked out the old greats just very directly, you know, took care of the Celtics, took care of the Pistons, took care of the Lakers. They were all in various stages of, of decline. But, you know, he just cleaned the slate in a way that like LeBron never really did exactly mm-hmm. um, because that just, you know, the circumstances weren't such that he could. The last thing is in terms of to relate back to why the Dream Team thing worked because Jordan was so super famous I think the thing that kind of struck me seeing a lot of the found or the, you know, the lost footage in, in, in the last dance was that like the thing that Jordan was selling in whatever he was selling Gatorade shoes, whatever, is that that guy was fucking cool, right? Like just (laughs) like as simple as you can put it, you see him in the training room with a cigar, like that guy is cool at all times. And it's not a put on, that's just how he goes through life as the coolest guy in every room he's in. And he doesn't necessarily flaunt it. Like he seems arrogant, obviously. But I think what's lost is that he may have been so marketable and put the NBA on such a pedestal and just exploded the popularity because the way that he was being marketed just wasn't bullshit. That just Mm -hmm. he was actually that cool. And guys now, like, I don't know how cool LeBron really is. Like he won't ever let us find out because every you know, advertisement or social media post is cultivated to send across a a message or a a branding image that he wants. 
Whereas Jordan was just like, just maybe this is naive, but he really just did seem genuinely like a cool guy that you would want to wear the shoes that that guy wore because he was cool. And you'd, you know, be like Mike is, is sort of a hack thing, but I feel like that was real. And, and, you know, propelling his fame into the dream team, which propelled the league to like international heights. And it's just all, there's just this perfect storm of stuff that happens with him that, you know, LeBron may have the best numbers, um, but it's just, it just wasn't, it can't be the same. And I think to your point, I don't know that we can do that again. I don't think we have the conditions to create another Michael Jordan again. Right. And so if he was sort of the, I guess what you're saying. So if, 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 circumstance a was the springboard for what he became you're still saying that it wouldn't have just worked with another player had you put lebron in his shoes i don't think so i think there was just something in you know this is a really easy argument to make because it's not disprovable but like there was just something different and special about him uh and it may have been also because like lebron was world famous as like a junior in high school and so uh, jordan was not that um, and so, and I think just growing up in this generation, LeBron is highly attuned and all the stars of today are highly attuned to like, you got to cultivate the brand. You got to, you got to look a certain way, say a certain thing. And I feel like Jordan felt somehow more authentic not that like he really let us in all the time, but, um, he, he, he grew up in an era where like, I don't know if he knew how to really market right. himself the same way. Like that wasn't a thing back then. So yeah, that's like a luck thing for him too, but it's also real lucky for him that he was so marketable just as himself, you know? Guys, are you looking to last longer than the value of a New York Knicks first round draft pick? Get the bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E chew.com promo code blue wire but could he be could jordan that way be marketable today it just feels like he had the benefit of maybe not being over covered to the or overexposed to media and fans the way that a lot of stars today do because if you take michael jordan's authenticity and plop it down in today's nba looking at how the league is covered you know guys like russell westbrook who I'm not saying is exactly like him, but they're sort of this villain. And maybe we, maybe he becomes mythologized a little bit once his career is over because everyone now is sort of doing the same with Kobe and he wasn't exactly, you know, he's still a divisive figure within NBA circles, but he just wasn't, he seems more universally beloved than he did while he was playing. And so maybe there's that type of effect at play. And, we, you know, we do have to note that there was, they pointed this out in the documentary, but there was a debate at some point about, Michael Jordan was just a scorer. It didn't translate to winning. He wouldn't <laughs> win rings. And so, but I'm just wondering if that type of players today are probably, if we want to call them superficial or guarded, whatever the right word is, it's almost by necessity. And maybe Jordan laid the framework for it because now the league and the stars became so damn popular that they're just covered so extensively that we really can never replicate another Michael Jordan. Because even if he came along to a T, it almost feels like this generation would reject him and villainize him. I, I think there's a great, I, yeah, that's a great point. I think that he changed the conditions of how we consume the NBA and relate to players in such a way that if the exact same guy were to show up now in the conditions that he basically created, because he was the guy that David Stern was like, wow, I can market one dude for my whole league and it's going to make us, you know, exponentially grow. He's the guy that made the the meat the way the media works today, I think to a large extent, the way that we cover individual players, it would be different. I like really the first thing I thought when you when you mentioned what it would be like is is Kobe, because Kobe was just doing a Michael Jordan impression for like his entire career. Um and I think what might have happened is, you know, let's say uh Jordan shows up today or whatever, say in 96 or you know the Kobe when Kobe shows up. I think what would have happened is 
advertisers would have said like, well, what do we know about Jordan? He's crazy competitive. Let's cultivate something that feels a lot like the Mamba mentality thing, right? Let's mm -hmm. like, let's really, let's, let's try to figure out the single thing that makes him marketable and go with that. Whereas I think when Jordan was playing and, you know, world famous um, at a time when it was sort of hard for athletes to be world famous, it wasn't quite as much of a like pick and choose what we're going to market about him. It's just, here's this guy again, I'm going to keep saying it. He's really cool. Everyone's going to like him. And like, it was, it was almost like kind of quaint in like how simple it seemed at the time, which you just couldn't do now. I don't think. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And it, I, I think that difference in uh, ears matters just as much as, you know, goat debates also serve as this barometer for how, people value greatness, I guess. Is it rings? Is it the mystique that Jordan has? Um, or is it the longevity that LeBron has? Is it the fact that his uh, many of his numbers are better, that he's more efficient? And so everyone's pick or the way that their argument is crafted tells you something about how they measure greatness. And, and that's why it's both interesting to have these conversations, but it's also worthless to come to a conclusion if that makes any sense, because cross-era comparisons are so ridiculously difficult, if impossible, because you know what? We can't pluck Jordan down in today's NBA. Yes, I believe that he would be a good three-point shooter, maybe even a high-volume one, but I can't prove that. Uh, the same thing with LeBron. Anyone who thinks that LeBron couldn't have gone to work in that uh, era, I, I, I believe is insane, but I absolutely have no way of proving that. And so I'm, after this documentary, I'm, I'm almost wondering what is the point of these discussions, which isn't a great way to sell this podcast. But look, the, dis the discussion itself is fun, but I think it's uh, at a time when we're looking for these cut and dry answers, it's never more to me this GOAT debate existed in a grayer area than it does now because there are so many different factors that we have to consider. And one of them, too, is back to your point about could we ever replicate what Michael Jordan was or what he became? No, because like you said, it was such a big man dominated league. And he was kind of the first non-big to reach a certain height because no one has ever reached his height before, let's just say. But just to, to be the face of the league in that way, maybe you could argue that Magic Johnson was there before him, but because the league was so popular when Michael Jordan was in his prime, that, that definitely has something to do with it. And now, like, you've kind of rolled through all the options. You know, we've had Stephen Curry because he doesn't look like an Adonis. We could just say he's not built like an Adonis and he was the best player in the NBA for a season or two, or he was the first unanimous MVP in NBA history. And so there's that sort of first. But now as the NBA kind of trucks along and goes through them, LeBron, I don't want to say he loses out, but what is he the, you know, he's he's an anomaly when you look at his talent, but like he's he's not, like what is he the first of? He's not the first global face of the league because we've had that before. And there's also, I don't know whether this is because of the overexposure to social media, but there is not that, star struckness to where people are meeting him and it seems like they're reduced to tears. I'm sure it happens, but it seems like that was a daily occurrence for Michael Jordan. And I think that's more of a nod toward the times, but that's something else that's been been done before now. And so you're not going to be able to, to be the first at it. And you're definitely not because of the way social media is, you're not going to be better at it or have more of it than Michael Jordan did. Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately what what the, i agree like we just exist in this gray area now where the debate is you know first of all it, if you really just define your parameters as narrowly as possible you could just land on well lebron's going to end up with more career points games wins but whatever you can get there analytically what i think this has really reinforced to me more than anything is is i think at least for me this is just a question of taste mm -hmm. and if that requires the the sort of uh uh, stipulation that basketball is an entertainment product and it can mean more to someone than what the numbers say. Um, now, if you're trying to figure out this, you know what, this gets back to your point. If you're trying to figure out who the best player was, you got to start with the numbers and work backwards from there because, you know, best is quantifiable. I think greatest is definitely where this gets complicated and someone who's the greatest player can, to your taste, be definitely not the best player. Like, mm -hmm. for example, like Tim Duncan is obviously a better player than Manu Ginobili, but I'm going to watch Manu Ginobili highlights a hundred times before I go watch Tim Duncan highlights because I like the way those highlights make me feel. Like, it's just, they're, they're better. <laughs> they call them um, Tim Duncan medium lights, by the way. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> 
they they call them dead yeah deadpan stone faced unemotional lights uh yeah no that's like that's it that's it right like it's just you got to concede that it's a question of taste and you know the best isn't the the objective best isn't the best or greatest to everybody because like that's what's great about basketball i mean not to get too like you know high you know hoity-toity about it but like you know watching these games again they really do make you feel stuff. And like for me, obviously, cause I'm just the right age and it was just the right time for like my basketball sort of development. They just really, they, you realize that it isn't just like, you know, the stats. Um, even though, again, I don't want to get dragged for this, but because like, look, if you're trying to quantify something or say, who's the best go with the stats. I, that's how obviously, right. Do we have to say that? Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's just something different. There's something about Jordan that for me strikes a nerve that LeBron or I, I, we keep using LeBron, but anybody, nobody does. Kareem doesn't do it. You know, Carl Malone doesn't do it. Not even Steph Curry in a lot of ways, even though, I, you know, he's right up there for me too. Um, it's just a different conversation. And so I think it's, it's, uh, it's, I think you just, you know, if you want to argue about it, you certainly can, but I think it's, it's more satisfying to me to just kind of remember through all this that Jordan was just a different figure for I think a lot of people um than, than LeBron really ever could be not and I don't mean that as a knock if if that's possible to say it that way and it's not sort of just this disease of nostalgia either because I I've I talked not. I talked about the sense of inevitability with Jordan that LeBron has never seemed to have and I just remember watching MJ when I was younger and thinking every shot he took was just going to go in and now am I just smarter as an adult to not assume that of players now perhaps but I also remember feeling close to that way with 2015 2016 Stephen Curry just that every shot he was taking was going to go in and so that feeling can be sort of copycatted and LeBron has never had it and that's I'm not trying to you know ruin LeBron uh or you know take shots at him there but so it is possible, I think, to feel that way when you're older about a player and LeBron has never hit that, which contributes to the Jordan mystique, which is why, look, I think LeBron has, I'm where you are, where it's the greatest versus best. And I think I've probably picked LeBron as my goat in the past. Now I, I would probably just demure. I wouldn't, I would defer. I wouldn't have an answer. But I do think this documentary has done a really nice job for Jordan's case to the point that insofar as it could ever be consensus for LeBron, he is now never going to get there. Like it's that's, just, you know what? It's never going to be this consensus thing for him. That's really interesting. And honestly, I'm sure I've said LeBron's the goat. Like I'm sure I've written that several times. And and like I, I think that it's uh it just it's 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 kind of frustrating that like we have to the only way it seems like you're allowed to really have this conversation is to is to start drawing comparisons like, well, you know, LeBron LeBron had the the cramps game. Jordan had the flu game, right? Like you have to draw all these things like, well, look at how Jordan was different game. Excuse me. Pizza poison. Yeah. We got to, we got to amend that. Um, I just don't want it to go that way. I I guess my only hesitation I'm with you, like uh, it should be obvious that I think, you know, Jordan is the greatest. Um, I just hope I'm not being a prisoner of the moment. Like if a 10, if a 10 hour documentary on LeBron had just come out, I wonder what I'd be saying, (laughs) but you know, I could be that impressionable, but I don't think it's that. I think, I think a lot of people, um, younger than me that maybe didn't see Jordan, you know, in real time quite so much or having second thoughts. I don't know. I don't, I haven't taken a pulse really. I don't know if you have a sense of that, but it seems like definitely I agree that it'll LeBron, I don't think can ever um, now get to the point where it's like, it's a closed case unassailable. It's just not possible anymore. He could win another four rings and yeah. have seven. And it just still wouldn't, I'm not saying he wouldn't win, conversations by the majority would just never be consensus like it's been for Jordan. And what's interesting too is maybe there's just the discrepancy in their play styles where Jordan was viewed as this killer and LeBron has always not just been pass first to where you've looked at bigger moments where yes, Jordan passed in them. But if we went back and looked at the numbers and I think I did once that uh, LeBron is going to take the shot fewer times in those occasions than Jordan would have. But LeBron is self-identified as someone who's passed first. And I'm not, as we're recording this, ESPN's Brian Windhorst um, published an article about LeBron addressing the GOAT debate between him and Jordan. And he said something interesting. It was on uh, the Uninterrupted YouTube channel. Direct quote, 
LeBron saying, me personally, the way I play the game, team first, I feel like my best assets work perfectly with Mike. Mike is an assassin. When it comes to playing a game of basketball, scoring the way he scored the ball, then my ability to pass, my ability to read the game plays and plays and plays in advance. And so LeBron has, even though he's not, he is, your team is going to revolve around LeBron. He he has always tried to identify himself as just this, this compliment to everyone around him, even if he's the engine that's that's driving everything. And Jordan never would have self-identified as that. And look, he, he wasn't that. And so that probably is different as well, because just look at some of the, the faces of the league. You know, when, when you're looking at the last three, it went from Jordan to Kobe. And then, yes, it, it became LeBron, but like it went from the Jordan to Kobe, and they were both just viewed as these points per game murderers, like these just buckets getters. And LeBron is a fantastic scorer if he stays healthy and basketball ever returns again after this coronavirus pandemic, you know, he's going to f- climb up that all-time scoring ladder. But people look at it as, well, you know, he was just in the league longer and, and played at a higher lever- level for longer. But you're not going to necessarily remember the the scoring first when you talk about LeBron. And so I'm wondering if that also contributes to, to Jordan's mystique is where both him and Kobe portrayed themselves as flawless, fearless, peerless. And I don't know that LeBron has ever tried to do that. No, I think that's that's a really interesting point, and I think too that it, you know if you're if you're leaning like I am on sort of the fuzzier you know narrative based like almost mythological elements to Jordan's game, the the sort of the the heroism of I mean they call it hero ball now like that wasn't a term when he was doing it, um, but the thing is like hero ball worked for him because he just didn't you know when he needed to make the shots he did. Um, I'm sure the statistics don't support that entirely, but because that's always how those work. But you know what I mean? Um, It's so much easier to like in the story, the hero is the guy that, you know, kills the dragon or whatever. It's not the dude that's like been helping the hero along the journey, like, you know, finding him food and like he throws him the sword at the right moment. Like that's kind of LeBron, I guess, if you want to really draw this out, it just fits so much more cleanly. And I do think that, you know, guys like Kobe and every next Jordan that came along, sort of oversimplified the like what it meant to be him that I think mm-hmm. they all just thought it was I got to be willing to take that last shot when really that was just kind of part of it it was you know just as the the other thing I'm, I'm rambling a little bit but I wanted to, to make this point too um you know LeBron is hardwired I think to be more Magic Johnson than Jordan and that's been said a thousand times um but like It is telling, though, that so much of the Jordan story arc is that it took him a while to realize he needed teammates. And when he needed them, he eventually was willing to trust them, which is like totally different than LeBron being wired to make the right pass all the time. Um, Whereas Jordan was like, well, shit, I got to pass it to this open guy right here because I know they're going to send three at me. You know, it's it's a little bit different. Um, Yeah, remember his reaction to running the triangle? There's no. Oh, yeah. There's like there's not a. There's not an I in team. And he's like, no, but there's an I in win. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's just, just his, he was just predisposed to do things, to play in a way that lent itself to like building the myth, right? Like just the guy that's willing to be the hero all the time. Whereas LeBron, I just, you're right. He's just, he's just cut differently. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think it's like, it's not controversial to say that LeBron would have been a lot better to play with. Like, does anyone disagree with that? I, I just think, you know, other than the, you know, Jordan would get you those rings, but, but I feel like the experience would have been a lot more pleasant with LeBron. I don't know if may, maybe it could be comparably poor just because where it seems like MJ would punch you in the face, LeBron might stab you in the back just based on, I tell you many, to fit out <laughs> just based off how many trade rumors emanate out of his teams, whereas he want he needs another playmaker or how much control he has over the roster where I'm not saying Jordan didn't have that type of control, but he would be more likely to say it to your face. And that just might be a sign of the times. And which sort of leads me into one of the last things I was going to ask you is it does seem for all Jordan accomplished, it seems like so much of his case is built anecdotally. And I'm wondering not if someone can replicate that, but if something along those lines can ever happen again. And my I'm gonna my own answer would be kind of no, just because of the way that anecdotes are, are sort of used against LeBron. And then if you kind of look at Kobe, where he was the bridge between these two players, you're looking at a time where he did sort of have that aura of he's going to 
be this crunch time superhero. But then like as he got, you know, later into his prime, later in his career, where maybe people are focused more on the quantifiable information, they're talking about how inefficient he was or or that he's a chucker. And so I'm thinking, I don't necessarily want to say it's a bad thing. I don't know if it's if if it's a good thing. I think it just is. I don't know that we can ever have someone who is propped up so highly based on anecdotes alone. And to be clear, Jordan has the tangible feats to be propped up as high as you want him, put him on that pedestal. But it's just interesting how much comes back anecdotally for him. And it's the same way with Kobe about how he was in practices. But with LeBron, it's kind of the opposite, where his case is built almost solely upon individual numbers, I feel like, and how he actually quantifiably makes his his teammates better. And then you look at the anecdotes of, well, he's not really the best teammate, or he's had too much control, or he's played for too many teams, or he handled free agency this poorly, or he forced the Lakers to trade their entire team for Anthony Davis and and this and that. And I thought that was just kind of an, an interesting difference in in how their cases have been built. I haven't thought about that before, but I think, I mean, you're going to keep just getting me to go on because that's really interesting. I think one distinction that you can draw that, again, I think favors Jordan is that you're right. Like LeBron, I think is, is so much savvier in like, if you, I think there would have been a way for LeBron to have made that 98 bulls team exist again, like, or go get another year or, or something because he's, he's so astute at, at sort of working behind the scenes and like playing the bigger game while he's playing the basketball game. Um, I think that, but, but for Jordan, there was just never any bullshit. Like if you weren't playing hard, he would punch you in practice or right. Like there's no, yeah. there's no subtweeting Kevin Love. Like <laughs> if like Michael Jordan would have just punched him. Right. And like, there's, I mean, obviously you should not punch people, but like there's something, there's something just so straightforward and so simple and so honest about that, that I think even that, even Jordan being an asshole, like overtly and without apologizing, um, is almost endearing because that's definitely something you don't you don't hear about with players now because they're all maybe more civilized human beings and don't punch teammates because they realize that's going to cause problems. You know, they'll go to their agent or they'll leak a story or they'll go whatever or throw stupid um, coaches. Yeah, throw. <laughs> yes, you know what? J.R. Smith is the modern day Michael Jordan <laughs> because you just know you knew where you stood with him. You would throw stupid. Yeah, no. I mean, is that crazy? Do you think that like? It just the comparison of how he dealt with teammates so directly is like actually a positive, even though every story is about how he was a monster. No, I, I think that all makes sense to me, but I'm still just wondering if I think Kobe's kind of vilified for how he would do things similar to teammates. It's not talking about how he would push them to the next level. That's not really, I would say, a common conversation we have with Kobe Bryant. And so if you had LeBron carry himself with that same attitude, I don't know that it flies now. And what I also found really interesting, and yes, this was sort of a sleek bit of propaganda by Michael Jordan, just to say beforehand that he thinks people are going to hate him after this documentary where you're almost preparing for the worst. It was just like this preemptive, you know, attack on people who might not view what he did in, in the best light. And you come out of it where you almost appreciate him more. And it's interesting how we can look back at that through current eyes, knowing how the league is covered now, where we criticize players not for being the same, but for doing anything that is tangentially similar, but yet we're still going to commend Michael Jordan for what he did. And is it because we can just attribute it to, oh, that's just how it was back then? And I honestly don't know, because I think if you took that type of approach to being a teammate, to being a leader, and put it in today's NBA... It's just not going to work. You need someone like Damian Lillard who offers to die and bleed for you, essentially. Like, yeah, there's a no-nonsense culture in Portland, kind of, but he's going to make it seem like he'll take a bullet for you, where Michael Jordan kind of made it seem like he's going to be the guy that's holding the gun and pointing it at you. (laughs) As a motivational tactic, though, right? Right. It's coming coming from a good place. No, I I don't know. I think that, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's interesting. The only thing is, like, if – the only way it flies, and and I guess you got to use LeBron as the parallel again, um, is if you've got the results. Because sure. I don't feel like you heard the stories about Jordan being a monster really until he'd established himself as like, well, um, I'm a monster maybe, but uh, <laughs> we we don't lose, so 
if maybe everyone else should be considering a little more, you know, a little acting this way. I don't know. Like you'd have to be a guy that had Jordan's sort of, you know, just totally indomitable success rate because otherwise, yeah. Like if you're, if you act like he did today um, and you didn't just win the title every year, I think you'd have some problems. And there's also sort of the, I, I know like Jordan did kind of approach it like the basketball was a business to him, but it was also sort of this lifeline where you actually believed that winning drove him just to be so aggressive. Whereas with LeBron, there is a more business-like approach. And he had his, yeah. you know, his moment when he wins the title in Cleveland and you're seeing his face, you could see how much it means to him. And I'm not trying to criticize his commitment to win at all, but, you know, kind of when, you, when you've looked at um, how he's lost, especially when losing became routine with the Cavs in the finals, it didn't seem to be something that really cut him to the core. And maybe it's because he won that 2016 title and came back from three to one. But then he also leaves to go to a Lakers who at the time were clearly an inferior basketball situa- situation relative to his other options. And Jordan just, I, I feel like is viewed as someone who only wanted to win and that everything he was doing was a means to getting a championship where LeBron has focused on those off-court ventures where it's, you know, Miami, that was definitely a cold calculating move to win, uh, but it came at the expense of his legacy almost, at least until I would say after 2011, 2012. And then he goes to LA, he goes home to Cleveland, but like that even kind of felt like this business move where it was, yeah, he's going home, but like now he's going to get all this goodwill back that he might've squandered beforehand. And then he just point blank leaves for an inferior basketball situation compared to the other options that were at his disposal. And so that probably helps Jordan a little bit. However, you know, untrue that it might be because I'm not saying like LeBron clearly cares, but the fact that he's made it so evident that he cares about things beyond basketball, uh, it probably hurts him. And that's a weird thing to say, knowing that Michael Jordan left basketball to go play baseball. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I think that, again, this is a framing issue because if if what you think a basketball player should be is single-mindedly committed to winning, um, which I think is an idea that comes largely in our culture now from Michael Jordan – um, and you know, you hear guys, I, I just want to win. All I care about is winning. I think if you hear anyone in their twenties or thirties saying that that's a professional athlete, there's a good chance that they're taking cues from how Jordan operated. Right. Um, but, but I don't know if that's like, there's a lot to be said for LeBron in a positive way of having this much wider s- scope of, yeah, I'm a basketball player, but you know what? I want to get into, I want to, I want to control where I play. I want to have more power over how the league operates. I want to do all this philanthropic stuff. Like he definitely has a more global view of like what his role is as a professional athlete than Jordan did, or he cares more about it. I think now that may be a financial thing because he understands too, that there are a lot of ways to make a lot of money if you become more than a basketball player. But what I think we may see is in the same way players, you know, over the last couple of decades have sort of formed their identities in sort of a Jordan mold. Kobe obviously being the the biggest imitator of winning's all that matters. I'm I'm committed to this. I work out like, you know, I'm just a I'm a competitive monster. I think we might see a whole generation of players coming up that look at it like LeBron does as like, yeah, I play basketball and I'm great and I want to win, but I also want to do all this other stuff. So I think, and I think you see that now, honestly, with, with how players market themselves and are more business conscious and stuff like LeBron might have just as big a, uh, an impact on, on changing how players view themselves or changing what players aspire to be as Jordan did. I think that's a real possibility. This was an interesting conversation. Do you have anything to add or to get off your chest or that you wanted to talk about that we did not get to? I feel like I have talked way too much. So <laughs> I think we're good. I think we settled. We did not settle the debate. So that was the goal is to not settle it. So I feel like we've really accomplished everything we set out to. Look, we, we set out to cop out and we did. We've said mm-hmm. that Jordan is the greatest while LeBron might be the best and that he's never going to be viewed as the consensus goat. That's uh, Look, that's that's a hedge, but I feel like it's a definitive hedge. I feel like uh, in much the same way LeBron is going to change how players, what their aspirations are. We're, this podcast is going to change podcasts in that no one's ever going to want to settle on an answer from now on because of how effective we just were in not settling on an answer. Is it at least clear to you? 
I say at least like I'm, I'm trying to poison your opinion and shape <laughs> you it. Like, me, yeah. Uh, that LeBron, like it needs to be that it's between LeBron and Jordan and that we don't need to have a debate about LeBron being number two. It should be implicit that if he's not the goat, he is number two. Or do you think there's a conversation there to put someone else? And I'm trying to discredit, you know, Kareem or Wilt Chamberlain, who had obviously had absurd numbers, but it does seem like LeBron has at least earned benefit of the doubt as it pertains to number two. Yeah, I think I'm good with that, even though I spent this whole time talking about like, well, what does it mean to you, you know, personally, but True. the numbers are, the numbers are just such that, yeah, like LeBron's going to end up the leading everything unless he gets hurt, you know, so uh, at, le- at the very least, if you can. yeah, That's knock right. on everything. Um, at the very least, you're going to have to start any conversation with, well, if it's not Jordan, like there's only one other guy with a resume, I think is probably how it's going to look, you know, years from now. Grant, well, thank you again for coming on. This was a, this was a fun conversation. I like you already missed the last dance documentary. Maybe the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire home run chase documentary will be just as good. But the fact that this was an event weeks long event, that really gave everyone something to talk about together. I'm definitely going to miss that. Everything else is going to just feel so much more temporary since it's not spread out over as long. If you don't follow Grant on Twitter, remedy that immediately at GT underscore Hughes. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. Shout out to our sponsors, betonline.ag and Blue uh, Blue Chew as always. And finally, shout out to, I think it's only appropriate at this point, even though they get tons of love, shout out to both Michael Jordan and, and LeBron James. The non-goats, I guess, because that's not what this conversation was about.